You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of confusion about salvation. Even amongst believers. Had a lady in this church, now she's gone to be with the Lord, and I'm not going to tell you who she was anyway, but quite frankly, she told me one time that there was somebody of another faith, and she said, well, you know, they must be going to go to heaven. They're so sincere about it. And I want you to know, sincerity has nothing to do with it as long as you're sincere about the wrong thing. Have you ever been to Home Depot and find somebody that they bought a 50-gallon gas water heater and they believed in their whole heart and they were sincere that they thought they could get that thing in their sedan? And you're sitting there out in the parking lot and they're trying to open up the trunk and they can't get it through that way and they're opening up the door they can't get it through that way and there is no way they're going to get it in there. And, but they were sincere. They were absolutely sincere about it. You see, the natural world doesn't care about sincerity. If you're sincere in something that isn't true... But God is considered, uh, he does care about sincerity as long as you believe in something that is true. And you have true by evidence. Any salvation created by us is merely superstition. If we created it, it is not true. If it is of God, it is true. So let me give you kind of a a story of what we call soteriology. Soterio means I save. It's about salvation. So let me go through that and clear this up. And if you didn't have notes and you didn't get notes, maybe you ought to get some notes on the way out. Because the scriptures that I'm going to give you, you need to go back and read. You need to find out what I've just said. Because I want to clear up this issue of salvation. Sin condemns us before God. Sin has condemned us before God. You know, they tell you in every evangelism program, you shouldn't start with God, with uh, the condemnation. You need to start with the God loves you. But I'm going to go right to the heart of the issue right now. Sin condemns us before God. You see, in the beginning, God created a very good world. You know that? It was a very good world that God created. In fact, it doesn't say it was a good world. It actually says that it was a very good world. Genesis 1.31 says, God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning and that was the sixth day. He finished the sixth day. Mankind has been created in this. Man was absolutely good at that point. Understand that. He was good. Mankind, though, mankind was given free will, a free will. That means you have the ability to choose. And God put in, the, in his creation, he put a tree in the middle of that creation in which you were not supposed to eat from. It says in Genesis 2, 9, it says, Out of the ground the Lord God caused every tree to grow that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Free will is, by its own definition, the ability to choose. So mankind needed to choose to either follow God and obey God, just as today, or not obey God. And God commanded, don't eat from that tree. Don't eat from that tree. You know this. It says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Now, a lot of people want to pick and choose their scriptures. They can stop right there and they'd have a real problem, wouldn't they? 
Okay, well, this is where you can't pick and choose your scriptures. You've got to get the next one in there to get the meaning of this. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat from it you will surely die. Now, a lot of people look at that scripture right there and they say, wait a minute, Adam and Eve didn't surely die on that very day. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. You see, we look at death and understand death as when that body no longer can respond to the stimulation. I was at the home of someone this past, well, just a couple of days ago. And uh, they had somebody who passed away in their home. And that body that was there could not respond. Was the body still there? Absolutely. Could the body respond to anything that we were saying? No. That body could not respond. That's what we call death. And what happens is, is that we are no longer able to respond to God like we could have or would have if there had never been any sin in our lives. We were dead already. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, And you were dead in your offenses and sins in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is not working, that is now working rather, in the sons of disobedience. See, here's the story, folks. You may know God, know who God is. You may know about God. You may even believe in him in the sense, but you don't know him. You don't have that intimate relationship that you would have with him. And therefore, you are dead in your sins. Now, you've heard me say that I've met a lot of famous people. I've had conversations with them. But I've met politicians. I've, met, I've even met rock stars. You understand? And let me tell you, I don't know them. I, I believe who they say they are. I believe that they are what they have done because I have seen some of the things that they've done. But I don't know them. If, and what's that mean? That means if I call them up, they're not going to call me back. Do you understand what I'm saying? I had a friend of mine who accidentally, he was a, he's a songwriter, and he accidentally published all of the phone numbers of all of these famous people one time. And I wanted to say, oh, Greg, I bet you're sorry about this one. <laughs> and all your friends are too. So I could have gotten the numbers. But you know what? None of them were going to call me back just because I had their number. You see, that's what dead means. You see, God separated himself from us. He separated himself from us because he loves us. For sin cannot exist in God's intimate presence. And that's what we're seeking. You see, in Habakkuk chapter 13a, it says, talking about God, it says, Your eyes are too pure to look at evil, and you cannot look on harm favorably. And so what has happened, God has pulled away from us. See, therefore sinners have an estrangement from God. We are separated from God. But you see, God was present. I mean, understand that. God is present, but his favorable, intimate presence is not with those who have no relationship with him. He is there, but to them, because they cannot respond, he is not there. If he did, 
and he were to come into the life of an individual that was, you know, still in their sins, and he came in fully with who he is, it would just, his blinding glory would wipe them out. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, Isaiah understood it. Then he said, woe is me. For I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the the Lord of armies. What he's saying here is, is that I'm in the very throne room of God. I don't belong here because I know who, where I am. I have got, I'm going to be wiped out any second. I'm going to be, I'm in the, I'm going to have his blinding glory take me away. And then an angel goes and takes a coal from the altar and cleanses him so he can stay in that presence. Let me explain to you this way. Uh, this here is, is called a prayer shawl. It's a, it's a uh, Hebrew prayer shawl. I got it in, in Israel several years ago. I got to get it turned around the right direction. Jesus would have worn something like this, like this. And he would have put it over his shoulders. Let's see if I can get it home. And he would have worn it like this. There's a lady who's been bleeding for 12 years. She says, you know what? If I can touch the hem of his garment, I will be cleansed of my bleeding. For the 12 years she's been bleeding. So this is how the, how the story, I can get this straight. Can't seem to get it straight here. But he would have worn it over his shoulders. And the hem of the garment is this little part right here. It's called the tzitzit. It's not, not a great name, I think, but tzitzit. It's not exactly the way Jesus uh, would have worn one, but it's what they sell in Israel now. Uh, there's something missing, and I, I'll talk to you about that someday, maybe. She said, if I come along and if I can touch his prayer shawl, the most, the most holy thing on him, what must she believe? Well, let me tell you what they understood. The woman who was bleeding was unclean. If she touched a holy man, he would become unclean because she was unclean because of her bleeding. So here's the story. She must believe that he is God. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? Because she believes if she touches this, she is going to be healed. In other words, he is going to either be made unclean, which he cannot be, or she is going to have to be made clean. That's the only way it would go. What I'm trying to say to you is this. If people could come into the presence of God in their unholiness, then it would wipe them out because they have no place there. There is no place for them in this. So God has stepped back in order to protect the people. You understand why God has made, put an estrangement there? And we are dead until something comes along that makes us different. For we have all sinned. We have all sinned. There is not a person in this room, not a person that you're going to meet today. There is not anyone who has not sinned. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short 
of the glory of God. Now, we were created in the image of God. Understand that. And those character traits that are of God are indelibly placed within all of us, whether we're saved or we're not saved. But sin is a deviation from those character traits. Understand it this way. In the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're all in complete agreement. But when it comes for us and there's sin in our lives, that's not an agreement with God. That's a disagreement with God. It is disobedience. Sin spread from the first sin to infect all. It spread. And people are wondering, how did that happen? Well, it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all mankind because all sin. Now, what happened is we inherited something called a sin nature. It is not the image of God. Now, I'm of the opinion, and this is just an opinion. I'm not absolutely sure I'm true. It's true. But I believe that the sin nature is passed on from father to child. I'll tell you why. Who is Jesus' father? God. He had no earthly father. And now, I don't know I'm right or wrong. I don't think it has to deal with 23 chromosomes. I don't think that's the way it is. I don't understand it, and I don't have to understand it. But it is passed along from every child receiving it. A sin nature gives you the propensity to sin. You're going to sin. Very unfortunately, you know, some of you can stop doing it for longer than others. But there's going to be a moment in which you are going to be unfaithful after being completely faithful. Now, I realize that in this world, in this salvation that man has created, which is a superstition, that people see themselves as good. And what they do is, is they say, well, because I see myself as good, therefore God is going to see my, the, myself as good. And so they see themselves as probably more good than they are bad. And they think that their own goodness is going to get them to heaven. All of the good stuff that I've done, that's what's going to get me into heaven. But Isaiah 64, 6 says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf. And our wrongdoings, like the wind, take us away. Even what we will call good is not good before God. Therefore, we are stuck in our sins. And there is a payment to be paid for that. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That means we have earned death, and there is by no other means, there's no means that we have on ourselves that we can be able to get rid of the things that we have done, and therefore there's no way that we can redeem ourselves. Let me tell you something that people don't grasp. Salvation is not about living longer. It's not about you living longer. I've heard people say, well, if you don't trust in Jesus, then when you die, you die. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says this, Jesus was speaking in John chapter 5, 28. 
Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. It says here that only those who've done the good deeds will be going to, for the resurrection. But what did I just tell you? What did I tell you? I told you that there is no good deeds that we can do. Understand it this way. Let's say, for example, you've been out in your pig farm and you've been working. I don't know if you've ever worked on a pig farm. I've worked on a pig farm. I've never been able to work in a, in a pig sty and not get a lot of pig on me. Or you know what I'm talking about. It's nasty. But then what you want to do is you want to do something good and you want to do something good for this, the, for God. So what you do is you go and you have no means to clean your hands and you have no means to clean up. But you want to go and present a meal to God and you make this incredibly what you think is a great meal. And you've got the nastiest hands you've ever seen and you've got it in the meal. And you think you can offer it to God. You can't do it. There's no good deeds that you can do. No good deeds. So it seems that we would be stuck in this situation if it wasn't for God. For God loves his creation. You realize this, folks. God loves you. God absolutely loves you. God purely loves you. I don't know how to say it any other way. This is who God is. John three sixteen. you know well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, God has more than just the desire to redeem mankind. He has the ability to do so. When it says that the wages of sin is death, it doesn't mean that we will die someday. I've already said that we are already dead to God and we're already dead in our sins. Yes, this is what the situation is. And therefore, there is a price that we need to pay. And the price is dead death. But guess what? We're already dead. We're already dead. You see, here's something you need to know. That if somebody is dead, you can't kill them. I don't know if you knew that. But if they find out that the person was dead and you shoot the body three times, they cannot convict you for killing the person because the person is already dead. You understand that? So what do you need? You need somebody who is alive that is going to die for you, don't you? And who is the only person who is truly alive, who did not have that sin nature, who did not have that death upon him? It is Jesus Christ and it is only Jesus Christ who's, did, who's done this. This alive person must pay the price for our salvation. And he is the only one alive who can pay this price. When Thomas said to him, we don't know the way, Lord. Jesus said to him in John fourteen six, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus came to give us the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the only way because he is the only one who could do so. So Jesus paid the price that we could not pay. And if we were even inclined to do so, I mean, we couldn't pay the, uh, the price. God did it while, when, when we were still sinners. 
It says Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, we have made ourselves the master of our fates. We've made ourselves the master of our own salvation. And that has doomed us. We thought that if we are going to be good, we need to be good so that God will take care of us and God will carry us into heaven. And so we are like Sisyphus who who will roll a rock to the top of a hill only to see it roll back down. And we feel that we are damned if we don't try and we're damned if we do try. Because that's where we are in all of this. So God has only one requirement for us to receive his salvation. We must believe in him. And that's more than acknowledging that Jesus is the son of God and that he paid the price for your sins. It's a lot more than simply being baptized. A believer identifies with Jesus. That word is so important to us that we identify Not that we simply, I know who he is. Not that I believe who he is, but I identify with who he is. That's why Paul would write in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, was Paul on the cross with Christ? The answer is no. But what's he doing? He's identified here. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I, I now live, the life that I, which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The union of this can be understood when someone looks at a marriage. A couple will come to me and they'll tell me, I want to be married. I got that. And you know what they did first? They repented from dating anyone else. If they don't get that one in, Their marriage will not last. You have repentance that follows it. And then what we do is, is they make that commitment to each other and they, we have a a wedding ceremony and they are married. Now, I hope you can see the parallel in salvation. Person comes forward and they say, I know Jesus or I want to know Jesus. And they make that commitment to him. And then we recognize that commitment. It doesn't make the commitment. The commitment comes when they made that decision. We recognize that in a ceremony. We call it baptism is what we do. And then we understood they repented of their sins, just like the person repented of dating with anybody else. They repented of their sins. And then if you're in a marriage couple, you identify with each other. What do you say? We bought a house. You don't say you bought a house. She bought a house. He bought a house. We say we bought a house. We say we bought a car. We say we had children. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? That's how you do it. You say it. And when you identify with Christ, you say, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's what we say. So that we are no longer condemned. Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The the condemned convict is the one who is awaiting execution. A condemned person before God awaits eternal exclusion. And what happened to us is that when we trust in Jesus, 
when we take that moment and we say, I trust in you, Lord. I repent of my sins. I will follow you. What you have done, you both avoided hell and you attained heaven. You see, and both of these are eternal. Both of these are eternal. I can't tell you how bad hell is. I've never been there. I only have the scriptures to tell me about it. So let me give you some descriptions in the Bible. It is an unquenchable fire. See that? It says that in the scripture. Mark nine forty three. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than having your two hands to go into hell, into the unquenchable fire. It says in the scriptures, it is a place of torment. Luke chapter 16, 23 says in Hades, talking about the rich man that was there. In Hades, he raised his eyes being in torment and saw Abraham far away in Lazarus in his arms. It is a place of weeping and regret. Jesus said, Matthew thirteen fifty. And they will throw them into the furnace of fire in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is a place without grace and the presence of the Lord. It says in 2 Thessalonians 1.9, These people will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, from the uh, glory of his power. This is how bad hell is. I know that there's people that are going to tell you, I want to condemn God for condemning people for not trusting in him. Well, let me tell you how I understand it. I regret that I've had to fire people. I'm not bragging about that. I'm telling you that there's times when I've had somebody who is not doing their job and I have fired them. I've done this several times. I hate doing it. It hurts. It hurts. I don't want it to ever stop hurting. I want you to hear that up front. But let me tell you a little bit about how I do it and how I understand the passion of Jesus in seeking people come to know him. See, I've typically told these people what I needed them to do. In fact, I write it out. When they're not doing what they need to do, I write it out. I spell out the consequences. And I go to them and I say... Do you think anything I'm requiring you to do is unreasonable? Tell me. We can work on this. But if you don't do these, here is the consequences. This is what's going to happen. You don't do this in 90 days. Here are the consequences. Just this stuff for 90 days. But you know what? I say, come back to me if you have struggles. And they don't do what I said. They continue to not do what I said. And so am I unreasonable for firing them? So I say this to you. Is God unreasonable for telling you that Jesus is the only way? Because he is the only way. Is God unreasonable for leading you to identify with Jesus? Is God unreasonable because he will not force you to make this decision? Is God unreasonable because he gives you your entire life to make this decision? Is God unreasonable in this? No. People need the Lord. 
People need the Lord. You need the Lord. I need the Lord. Everyone you know needs the Lord. Don't say they don't. Don't ignore the fact whether or not they know the Lord. See, there is no other way. There is no other way. It says in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, talking about Jesus. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. I'm not making this up, folks. I've got evidence.